Welcome to Grow and Learn. This is Zorina. Today we're going to be speaking about a topic that is uh, gaining traction in recent years. We're going to be speaking about uh, gut health. It's, re it's linked to mental health. We're going to be speaking about health in general, sleep, links to autism. My guest is a very well-versed health practitioner. The exact certification that he has is a certified functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. He's also author of the book, Autism Wellbeing Plan, How to Get Your Child Healthy. So today I am welcoming Christian Jordanov, a fellow countryman, but living in Portugal at the moment. Hi, Christian. Hi, Zarina. Thank you so much uh, for having me on. It's a great pleasure to also to be conversing with someone from my own country. I, I don't think that's ever happened on a podcast yet. <laughs> it's my pleasure. <laughs> and especially with this subject, I, I haven't had a lot of people speaking about bodily health on, health, on Heal and Learn. I, I think I've had about two people so far overall speaking about nutrition on, on the channel. So I'm really excited about our talk today. Um, where do we start? You have such a wide uh, grasp of nutrition, health, dieting and its effects on health. Let, let's start with autism because this is a very like um burning topic i know that autism has increased about 30 times since the 80s which is an amazing uh growth in in this yeah. uh it's not a disability it's a condition let's yeah, call it condition. exactly exactly yeah it's it, i i don't know what it is truly because um maybe a hundred years ago or 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 there about they were saying that it was one in 10,000 cases. And then maybe in the 50s, maybe it was one in 5,000 cases. I don't really keep up with the stats anymore, but places like New Jersey, I believe it's one in 24. With the current trends that mm -hmm. it's it's going, they're estimating that it could be literally one in two, one in three children this century at some point. So um, anybody that comes out and, and disingenuously starts talking about ge genetics, this genetics, that is, um, you know, either ignorant or purposefully trying to confuse people. They, it genes takes take um, hundreds of thousands, millions of years, or at least tens of thousands of years to change in such a in such a dramatic way. And to tell to tell anybody that you know we just have better diagnostic methods is again disingenuous because. Also, all the other conditions and diseases have been increasing rapidly in the last 100 years from Alzheimer's, heart disease, cancer. And many of these are, we have early onset Alzheimer's now in people in their 40s. Many of these conditions, people are getting them earlier and earlier. So it's clearly something in our in our modern world that, that is contributing to this. And it doesn't really take much research to figure out what it is. It's the really poor nutritional status of people. A lot of these moms of the of the kids are in a very poor state of health now it's very easy to look at a person and say oh, well someone's 25 they don't really look unhealthy you know when you're when you're young uh i remember how when i was young i could do a lot of silly things drinking partying and you would look fine you would perform okay with your mind your body but on the that's on the surface deeper down there's a lot of dysfunction going on a lot of these girls that are having kids nowadays they may they may be plant-based or have had a vegan diet or just poor nutrition or a lot of toxic exposure all these personal care products uh you know being in big cities with all the pollution so a lot of these moms are in a poor state of health some of them are already on medications and that is translating into a suboptimal health of the fetus that grows and then these kids are born and they have very poor nutrition many families are just not taught what good nutrition is and how to protect their kids from all the toxins in the environment so i think those are really the biggest drivers of of all of the conditions really are very simply we live in a very toxic world most people haven't learned how to protect themselves from the toxic onslaught and in tandem with that um our and the aggregate of humanity, our nutritional status is very poor due to the poor diet and the uh, just really bad um, for agricultural practices since the introduction of, you know, the big agri, you know, pesticides, herbicides, mass production, GMOs. This has really destroyed the food supply. So it's, it's we live in a, in a time where you have to be really 
conscientious of what you're putting in your body and what you're exposed to. Otherwise, it's inevitable that you will succumb to some type of condition or disease eventually. Mm -hmm. um, you're also a specialist on detoxification. And now it seems that a, a large portion of the uh, malnutrition is actually due to uh, intoxication or toxicity, uh, mm -hmm. which also prevents the absorb absorption of uh, nutritious uh, elements. Uh, I remember some months or years ago, I was watching an interview with Robert uh, Kennedy Jr., who had just finished um, his, I, th I think he won the case uh, when he was suing the American government for uh, the effects of vaccinations, I believe, and he won this case. I'm, I'm talking about uh, vaccines in general, not uh, the latest oh, ones that yeah. were rolled out. And um, actually, there was something there in this podcast that I listened to where either he claimed or the other person, I'm not quite sure, that a large percentage of the autism is actually due to um, the heavy metals contained in these vaccines. What is your research or say about this? I like I like that you're not afraid to raise this question, Zorina, because a lot of people are a lot of parents are scared into uh, not even questioning. And we absolutely you're right. We need to question these things. Why, 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 why are they putting heavy metals in vaccines? Now, they tell you why, because they're adjuvants that are supposed to irritate or stimulate the immune system to to mount a response to the inactivated viral particle or virus or whatever. And then that will create the um, uh, the antibodies that will kind of remember this pathogen. And if you're ex exposed to the pathogen, you're going to be able to, you know, mount a response and not die of it or something like that. Um, there's a lot of holes in, in these kind of, um, in, in these arguments and, um, there's a lot of researchers, even in my book, uh, I, I even cite one one uh, group of researchers there, like they said something along the lines of the quote is in my book, but they said, given the current vaccine schedule, we're a, a child, I think before the age of two or something like that, I can't remember exactly, gets injected directly into the bloodstream with between 1500 and 6000 micrograms of mercury, mm -hmm. which um doesn't sound like a lot you you could you could be getting that through the diet on on a constant basis because so, some food additives have mercury by and they're they're fda cleared and stuff like that and eu cleared but there's a big difference between ingesting the toxin and directly putting into the bloodstream because the all the vectors of the um potentially detoxifying excreting or not even absorbing it because it might in the gut it might not even get absorbed the mm -hmm. intestinal cells sometimes spit toxins out it's called i think phase zero or phase no phase three detoxification it's not really talked a lot about but sometimes they can spit toxins back out into the gut lumen for them to be you know ideally pooped out um so yeah, the uh, aluminum and they used to use mercury a lot before now only the flu vaccines Report purportedly have um, uh, thimerosal, which is the mercury-containing compound. Um, but yeah, so aluminum and mercury, these are neurotoxins. They just create a lot of damage. I think uh, thimerosal, it directly crosses the blood-brain barrier. So even if your blood-brain barrier is intact, it can still cause a lot of neurotoxicity. And you know, neuro neurotoxicity is basically the mechanism through which neurodegeneration occurs. So look at, you know, Alzheimer's and um, dementia, autism. There's a, a an aspect of neuro neuroinflammation and neurodegeneration and, and neurotoxicity. So, I mean, there's there's a lot to be questioned there. And I, I'm really shocked that more parents aren't sort of, I think a lot of them are just trusting that, oh, it, if it's from the, the doctor or, or whatever, it must be, it must be safe. But look at all the, all the countless uh, chemicals and drugs that have been taken off the market over the years, all the, the billions in loss, uh, in uh, damages that f companies like Pfizer have paid out, literal, literal billions. If you look at the who are the biggest criminals in terms of criminal damages paid, it's the pharmaceutical companies. So, But somehow a lot of people realize that, but yet somehow vaccines are exempt from this sort of judgment of these companies and, and their nefarious practices. 
Uh, not to mention that there's a lot of other things, other ingredients in these vaccines, like chicken embryos and various monkey fetal cell lines and polysorbate 80, which is a carcinogenic thing that it's an emulsifier that can also open up the blood-brain barrier and let other toxic things in. So, I mean, at this point, I know a lot of people that are not supportive of the, these vaccines. They, they're made out in the media to look like a bunch of crazies. But mm -hmm. if anything... When they, when they, if you take any, like, uh, like if you take any of the parents that I've, I've worked with that their kids are vaccine injured, if you take them and you, you ask them why are you against vaccines, you know, they won't start going. It's against God's will, and like, let, let nature decide that they're not like these Bible something. Yeah, yeah, or they're not. That's what is shown in media. Yeah, they, exactly. They, they're, mm -hmm. But they're very rational people that can show you research. They can show you where the. I have done the... that. I have actually pulled out research together with my partner when when we were looking at this in the first place, and we looked at statistics and discussed pros and 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 cons. And you know, I, I had my um, preconception about things, and I stood my ground, but. I still had to prove based on numbers my point, you know, yeah. <laughs> not just based on belief. And numbers exactly show official exactly. numbers that you can download for each particular exactly. team. Mm -hmm. We cannot just say, I believe this, I believe that. That is no different than a religious belief. I believe, you know, in, in uh, whatever else. So we have to really be, be scientific. And if anything, uh, believing that they're okay without investing it, investigating it, that is a religious belief. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot we can talk about there. Um, it's a very polarizing topic, but I think any, any, the, the bottom line is that anybody, any parent or doctor or researcher that's ever looked into it, no one has come out, come back down that rabbit hole and said, no, no, they're all safe. Everything is totally fine, guys. I don't know what you're worried about. Not one of those people that have truly and they're honest with themselves has gone down that rabbit hole and come back and not become ag uh, uh, against this. This um, what I, in my personal opinion, it's a systematic poisoning to to support prop up the disease industry because mm -hmm. there's a a lot of money to be made there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but then again, these are the uh, there are the other neurogenic generative diseases like Alzheimer's that I suppose these people are not at this age taking that many vaccines as the, as the children. And yeah. so, so that means that there's an additional environmental effect, nutritional effect that mm -hmm. causes, that is flooded with these um, heavy metals that causes mm -hmm. their condition. Absolutely. You, you, you really know your stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm quite impressed. So not not only is there is there obviously the 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 toxic metals in the environment and the toxic chemicals of which there's over a hundred thousand that has been have been synthesized and released into the environment since basically the beginning of last century, but we also have another thing that too many people think think is benign, and that is the polyunsaturated fatty acids in the diet. Now they they have grown uh or in terms of our caloric consumption of them, proportionally, they've grown tremendously over the last 150 years, right? And the, uh, I, I believe it's one of the biggest drivers of, of disease, you know what I mean? Um, what are some foods that contain this? Can you give us an example? Sure. So so the every, I think most people know like vegetable oils like canola or rapeseed, as it's known more in Europe, corn oil, soybean oil, sunflower oil, which is in Europe, it's mostly sunflower oil that's used a lot. In the USA, it's, you know, corn and soybean oil are, are, are used quite a lot. So these oils, uh, first of all, if you eat out, if you eat out in restaurants or you order takeaways or you buy processed food, you are getting exposed to a lot of these oils. Now, if you cook most of your meals at home, which is the ideal, and you don't buy these oils, it's it's a great step, but a lot of people forget that what did these oils come from? So they came from sunflower seeds, right? Or from you know um, uh, you know nuts. So if you eat a lot of seeds and nuts and and some grains, you are actually getting quite a lot of these as well. So in my in my opinion and my sort of educated uh, uh, view is. I don't believe nuts, seeds, grains, and beans in in large quantities should make up a a healthy diet. I honestly, 
a lot of people understand gluten is not that good. Some people don't do well with beans. Uh, but some, somehow we have a lot of epidemiological data that, that associates nut consumption with good health. But there could be a lot of confounding variables there. I did a, um, a show on my a podcast episode, why I don't eat nut seeds, grains, and um, leg legumes most of the time. And I talk about the various anti-nutrients that are in these nuts and seeds. So we have uh, oxalic acid or oxalates, phytic acid, tannins, phytoestrogens. We have um, a couple of other things, enzyme inhibitors. So in their raw form, obviously, you know, a, a bean you cannot eat raw, a grain you cannot eat raw. So I'm not sure why people think that a nut eating a raw nut or a raw seed is that good. A, a nut or a seed, that's the baby of the plant. It's highly protected. The, the plant wants you to eat the fruit. That's why the fruit is sweet, colorful, and smells great. And then you can take the seeds and poop them out and, you know, <clears throat> start a new plant there. But they protect the, the seeds with various toxins. So that's one aspect of it. If you cook the seeds and the nuts and the grains and the beans, you inactivate a lot of these lectins and other anti-nutrients. But if there are, let's say, hazelnuts or almonds or peanuts, if there are <clears throat> um, omega-6 polyunsaturated fatty acids in there, which there are, you, you're actually oxidizing or damaging those. And you if you take them in in their damaged form, you're using up your body's antioxidants to prevent damage from occurring. And then when you deplete that, you now are just creating damage. The more of these you eat, the more damage occurs. And this is what is damaging the endothelial lining of the blood vessels leading to atherosclerosis. This is what's damaging our brain cells because they these things, these fatty acids, they the body has no choice. It's using the building blocks that are coming in. So it will make cell membranes. It will make neurons or repair neurons with these uh, uh, very unstable fatty acids. And the more of an unsteady, uh, un unhealthy state a person is in, the more oxidative damage goes on in the body, the more of these are going to get damaged, these polyunsaturated fatty acids. More damage, more inflammation, and it becomes a vicious cycle. And if you put a bad diet on top of that if you put toxicity from the environment that you you know you know an extra toxicity because people don't eat organic or they don't filter their water or they're driving traffic every day that creates an even bigger load on the person and you keep your body keeps compensating until the straw that breaks the camel's back and then people suddenly suddenly one day get diagnosed with this that or the other but uh, from from what I've recently read is that um, acids, unsaturated acids, are actually vital for the development of the brain. So what would you recommend that people, or would you recommend completely taking it out of the diet, unsaturated acids, mm. or would you recommend an animal origin unsaturated acids? Or I don't, be? Uh, mm -hmm. other than in a laboratory setting, you cannot take poly, you cannot take unsaturated fats out of the diet. It's pretty much impossible. Everything has some, even... You know, even um, coconut oil, which is mostly saturated fat, has a little, maybe a couple of percent polyunsaturated. Uh, olive oil has ten to twelve. Uh, if you eat, if you eat a grain-fed meat, that's going to have. So it's uh, the the studies are showing that you even if you do need some of these omega sixes, it's a couple of grams a day. The fact is that we are mo most people are eating. 20, 30, 50, 70, 90 grams of these a day. And we have to remember that these um, omega, certain omega-6s, they are literally precursors to inflammatory mediators in the body. So inflammatory molecules that create inflammation, eicosanoids, leukotrienes, prostaglandins, thromboxanes is some of the, the major ones. And the more of these you take, the more potential for inflammation there is to be created in the body. So it's, yes, maybe we need a little bit, but even I have this um, fairly old textbook on nutrition, advanced nutrition and human metabolism. It was published in 2006. And in there, there even like, what is it? Um, 17 years ago, roughly, they were saying that arsenic, the, the, the heavy metal or the toxic metal arsenic, might, in very small amounts, might have a biological role in the body. So it could be that even mercury or all the maybe all the metals, all the elements on Earth, in uranium even, maybe a few 
micrograms or, or somewhere maybe in certain regions of the brain might be uh, essential, but it's the fact that we we have uh, uh, we have released such a plethora of them that it's just too much. So it's the same with these omega sixes. Maybe some of them are are essential, but even amino acids, which are essential for building blocks of the body, too too much of a certain amino acids like arginine or methionine or cysteine or tryptophan, they've been shown to have either inflammatory or carcinogenic or some other type of deleterious effect. So uh, point being, to answer your question is, you you will probably never be deficient in these things, even if you try your hardest to exclude them from the diet. Mm -hmm. I see. And uh, recently I also received a, yet another email for the update of YouTube community rules where they state you're not allowed to speak anymore about um, uh, blood type based diets. What is your opinion <laughs> on that? <laughs> is this related to the uh, processing of these fatty acids? Does it matter actually uh, what blood type you are and what exactly you're con consuming? Uh, do you have any observation on that? Um, actually, I was asked this again, uh, this before in a podcast. I I haven't researched it. I, I It's on my to-do list. I, I will buy the book that's all about the blood type diet, but I cannot comment at this time. I'd really, I believe the blood type does matter in, in many ways. It's like having certain genes. I, I have certain genetic variations that predispose me to certain diseases. The, and I I have those in my family, like depression, um, atherosclerosis, stuff like that. So we actually have those in my family. So I believe blood type similarly will have advantages and disadvantages. And I'm not sure if enough research has been done that we can actually apply it um, in our everyday life. But it's it's a good question. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Uh, because theoretically, you could syn synthesize and break down different nutrients in a different way. So for some people, yeah. I'm just theorizing yes. here. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, you're on the right track for sure. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's talk um, the real meat now. Give us something for detoxification of heavy metals. What are, what are some of the basic things people can do either for... Um, to, to detoxify from vaccines for children, for autism. You, I know you have a program for helping uh, parents deal with this condition in children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things people can do that are quite simple. Actually, uh, this time last week, roughly, I got a, an idea for my next book. It will be called something along the lines of um, Shortcuts to Better Health longevity and um, mental performance, right? So I, I got the idea last week and I, I've, I've already started jotting down ideas for the book and, and it's all about shortcuts, right? So there's a lot of things we can do the, the right, quote unquote, the right way, long-term, like reducing toxic exposure is number one. You, you will never be able to out-detox uh, a poor diet and lifestyle, right? But in my book, I'm going to cover some of the stuff that I'll, I'll touch on here. Uh, because I believe more people need to know, and some of some some of these things are so simple. It's as simple as buying a few supplements and taking, remembering to take them daily, right? So we have to think about <clears throat> how does the body detoxify things. It detoxifies things using nutrients and energy. Nutrients being vitamins, minerals, and amino acids mostly, and energy being you know uh, converting glucose or fat into ATP and just converting food into usable energy in the body. So we need to provide that. So the first um, the first thing, like if I have a client that I see has a lot of, let's say, heavy metals in the hair, or sometimes we do other testing that shows indicators of poor detoxification, the first thing we do is start remineralizing the body. My, um, excuse me, my uh, clinical experience basically has shown that most people are very depleted in terms of minerals. Now, that's partly because the the, the um, over-farming on the same pieces of land, the same crops. So, you you know, you might, um, let's say you're growing carrots. First season, they'll extract some of the, let's say, manganese and the, the zinc and, you know, other uh, mag uh, um, calcium, magnesium. So the every year... After you extract those um, those plants from the soil that you grew them in, 
every year there's less and less minerals. And yes, like organic farmers, they will buy like mineral mixes and they will throw them back in, um, phosphates. But usually it's, it's um, uh, very few things are replenished back into the soil. So it's NPK, so nitrogen, uh, phosphorus, and potassium are kind of the, the basis of many industrial level, industrial grade fertilizers. So a lot of the nutrition in terms of the minerals is not being reapplied back to the soil. And the fact that um, the human population has increased so much in the last 150 or 200 years, uh, it just means we're creating more out of less every year. So what I do is I, I the, usually the first... Um, the first uh, couple of minerals I add to somebody's diet will be zinc and magnesium. And especially with women and especially people that don't eat dairy or eat very little dairy, I, I always add calcium and magnesium in a specific ratio, two to one, with a little bit of vitamin D to help with absorption. Now, you know you know that women are at higher risk for osteoporosis and, and all these sort of osteopenia things. Uh, so I really think it's important to add the calcium to the diet if if the person can't tolerate dairy and things like that. So what what you start doing when you add the minerals back into the diet is certain toxic metals start getting pushed out because if you're low in zinc, the body literally sometimes uh, cadmium can take the place where zinc would be or if um, if you're low on calcium, lead can displace uh, calcium in the bones. So when you start adding things, the body is using enzymes and it's infinite intelligence. It can see, okay, I I'm, I'm have more zinc coming in. I can push this cadmium out of here and replace it. And this enzyme will work better. In fact, certain like cadmium can do some of zinc's jobs due to the similar molecular structure, but not as efficiently, maybe 60% as efficiently. So the body's, uh, this is one of the, the things that still amazes me to the day. The body will take a, a less or a suboptimal um, compound or, or or atom to do the to do the job not as well, but it's better than not doing. It's like when you if if you you have a hole in your wall and you don't have any bricks and cement, you take a coke bottle and you just jam a coke bottle in there, so the the you know the rain and the wind can't come through. It's not optimal, but it's doing the job for now. So this is. But this you have idea. the side effects then of this re replaced. Uh, element exactly so the, these are you know they're highly inflammatory for example cadmium if it gets incorporated into um uh in not just cadmium toxic metals if they get incorporated into things like blood vessels they can cause cause art arterial stiffness they can contribute to higher blood pressure less elasticity so many 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 things obviously if they get in the <clears throat> in the brain and the nervous system they're gonna wreak absolute havoc there so um but the the Adding the minerals into the diet starts this process. In fact, some people already just with the, the minerals and maybe some B vitamins, a good B complex, they already start to experience symptoms of detoxification. What, what are some of the symptoms? Can you share with us how people can recognize them? Sure. So the, 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 these we can also um, often see when people start, let's say if you have a lot of gut dysbiosis going on, and you start, let's say, taking antimicrobial herbs and and, sub, and probiotics. Sometimes uh, you can get fever. You can just feel fatigued, or you can feel uh, with with toxic metals. You can feel hyperactive, and then fatigued. Sometimes so there's actually like maybe three dozen different things that you can experience. You can experience um, uh, uh, anxiety for a while. Um, you, you might not be able to sleep. You could have a high temperature because a high temperature. Uh, it it decreases the viscosity of the water in the cells, so things can flow out more easily. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's another detoxification mechanism. So there's really just a general feeling of malaise, um, fatigue, this kind of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, you can. In those cases, what what we recommend is reducing. Let's say it's just minerals the person is taking. Just reduce the the protocol you're taking. Um, similarly, with with amino acids, we can get a lot of boost to the detoxification systems. And if if these sort of detox reactions, these cleansing reactions occur, we always again taper turn the dial back a little bit. And some of my favorite amino acids for this purpose are glycine, which is uh, the simplest amino acid in the body, but um, it actually 
it it's part of one of our sort of main antioxidants in the cells that one of the most powerful antioxidants called glutathione which is made of glycine uh, cysteine and um, glutamate right so glycine <clears throat> generally all of these things are supposed to come from the diet but in the mod this is another sort of drawback of the modern world which is why it this will be part of my book uh, talking about the importance of glycine is we used to eat quote unquote nose to tail so you eat the cartilage the even the skin the bones would be boiled down you wouldn't you wouldn't waste a whisker off of an animal the the sinew you would make rope from you would you would make drums or clothes from the hide and you would eat every uh, gelatinous part from the animal and the, like an animal is 50% gelatin basically when you you know proportionally so we're a lot of uh, the trend now is to eat you know chicken breasts lean meats uh, red lean red cuts of meat and we're we're not getting a lot of glycine and this glycine is part of the collagen structure it's about a third of collagen so it's good for the skin it's good for the joints it's good for um for bone health because bone is actually 40% collagen it's not just calcium it's not just this hard mineral thing it's a living tissue with 40% collagen which means that bone is about um i guess uh 10 10 to 13% glycine in, insane right so when you look at a woman that is experiencing some type of osteoporosis or something my my usually my first hunch is this woman or or person did not eat a lot of calcium containing foods for a long time and probably not a lot of collagen and what the body is so amazing it will <clears throat> use these glycine and calcium it will rob the bones in order to maintain more vital functions like um you know the the immune system keeping the heart and the brain working so it will do that for a very long time and this is again another reason why we cannot look at a person and say you are healthy you are everything is fine not in the modern world anymore we can't do that anymore because you can look healthy in the meantime your your body is robbing it's ca almost cannibalizing itself to maintain the vital functions and then you look at a person in their 70s 80s if someone looks very aged and someone next to them looked like my, we went to this homeopath here in, uh, I think in April. I tell you, this guy was like 80, he told me, or 81. He looked maybe like he was 60. He was tall. He was lean. He was strong. His skin was glowing and perfect. His skin was gorgeous. I was like, dude, your skin. <laughs> so that is a sign of somebody that has been taking really good care of themselves, themselves nutritionally, right? So glycine is probably such a simple thing. You can get it by the kilogram for like 20 euro. And it's such a simple thing. You can put it in your food. You can put it in your shake in the morning. And I think that's a minerals and glycine is a very good starting step. I'll, I'll pause here in case you want to ask some other question. Yeah, I, I actually wanted to ask about people who have a vegetarian diet because there are also claims that uh, your acidity uh, of the blood raises when you consume meats or um, also any kind of uh, dairy as well, dairy, but meats specifically, uh, that in increases the acidity of the blood and this causes, you know, all the related diseases. So what is your take on the vegetarian diet? I've, I've done the vegetarian and vegan for about to a total two years of my life. And I, I've looked into it a lot and I, I work with people that are ex-vegetarians and vegans. And invariably those people are coming to me with a lot of health problems. So I I do not believe, uh, especially the plant, fully plant-based diet is anywhere near the optimal diet for humans. You can do vegetarian. I noticed that, for example, I, I started drinking a lot of milk again recently, nice organic goat milk, and I've been eating a lot less meat and I still feel really good. Um, the problem is now I'm addicted to this goat milk because it's so nice. But I, I believe you can do vegetarian with if you eat plenty of eggs and cheese and milk but without um without those proteins without the, the fact is that like i said earlier a lot of plant foods contain a lot of anti-nutrients like mm -hmm. if you look at spinach that is in terms of its oxalate content the highest oxalate containing food and it's a bomb of oxalate and if you look at the especially if it's raw if you look at the bioavailability of calcium in spinach it's about five percent in milk it's about 
So you're, you, you know, if you look at the nutritional profile of a lot of plant foods, you are absolutely not absorbing those, um, a lot of those nutrients. Like in beans, I think the, the protein bioavailability is closer to 50 to 60%. Whereas milk, milk is, I, I think 95, I think it has the best protein bioavailability. Mm-hmm. And uh, meat is probably, I think it was like eighty six or something like that. And we 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 should never we should never forget that there are things in animal products that do not exist in the animal kingdom, like things like creatine, which is used in almost every cell, uh, taurine, which is another amino acid that you can buy as a as, to help with detoxification and heart health and eye health. Uh, but it's uh, meat is a good source. So if, if you're a vegetarian or vegan taurine and glycine are really good to have and creatine um then don't forget the the fat soluble vitamins so they say oh um carrots are a good source of vitamin a well come on they're not it's beta carotene there's the carotenoids these are pro vitamins so they have to get converted into vitamin a and uh i've tested my, myself and my wife's genes and we actually those genes we have uh, polymorphisms that actually slow down the conversion. So you, it's it's not as simple as oh this has vitamin A or or this plant food has calcium. And a lot of these minerals or or vitamins are in there, uh, not in the right form for um, an animal, right? And there's a lot of conversions that sometimes have to happen in order to, for that to become bioavailable. And then uh, vitamin D. K, A, you know, these are in animal products. Um, the the vitamin E, conversely, the best source is animal foods for humans, but a lot of it comes either in nuts and seeds or in the vegetable seed oils. And the thing is that the more of those that you eat or ingest, the higher your vitamin E requirement goes. So if you reduce those, you you won't need... Uh, uh, on paper, you won't need as much vitamin E because there's not as much oxidation occurring. The problem is that if you, if anyone stops today, all the polyunsaturated fatty acids, all the seed oils, all the nuts and seeds, the stuff you've stored on your body, that will be there. Uh, some people say as long as four years. Other people say as long as seven years. And that actually means you still have to take vitamin E and this will be something that I'm going to write about in my in my next book is the importance of vitamin E in today's world given how much of these omega-6s we're eating on a daily basis whether we we do it knowingly or not mm-hmm. so that means that you don't recommend the intake of um, omega-6 omega-3 supplements so omega-6 definitely not not mm-hmm. uh, I personally am trying to reduce Again, they're in everything to a, to an extent. Most things a little bit. I'm trying to reduce as much as possible the intake of those omega threes. It's a hard one. The the omega threes are like the darling of the sort of the research world. You, if you if you badmouth omega threes, you're gonna get slapped, called a you know a heretic. And um, the the thing is, I I we do eat. Uh, we we are eating a lot of um uh, um what's it hake roll fish eggs and um, sardine roe. So we were big fans of that. And when my wife was pregnant, I was giving her cod liver oil and fish oil and um, cod liver in cans. I, I have a, lo- a load of those. But um, recently I, I've, I've stopped opening up. I used to open up a can every two, three days and share it between myself, my wife and my daughter. Now I'm doing that less and less. The thing about omega-3s, and I'm not saying people shouldn't take them, but they're actually even more fragile than omega-6s. So the most important thing is uh, we, we don't get so many omega-3s, you know, a bit of fish here, a bit of uh, maybe um, um, linseed or whatever, uh, uh, walnuts. We don't get as many of those. So I wouldn't worry too much about those, but I would most certainly uh, think about taking a, a full-spectrum vitamin E complex because, again, those are even more fragile due to their structure than omega-6s. So we want to make sure we have the, the vitamin E, that antioxidant, to structurally structurally protect us from oxidation. And the less healthy a person is, the more compromised their health, the more dangerous 
uh, it becomes for them, right? So if you're in a good state of health, some omega-3s, even some omega-6s shouldn't be a problem, especially if you're taking vitamin E. But if, you, if you're in a compromised health state, uh, I would be very careful. I would probably take the omega-6, pause that, take vitamin E for a while to replete your vitamin E status, take some other things like, uh, you know, the things I already discussed, glycine, minerals, just kind of improve your antioxidant system, your detoxification system, and then probably then reintroduce the high quality. Hopefully it was a very high quality uh, fish oil or omega-3 supplement. Okay. Um, I think you may have lost me a little bit there in the explanation because I, I didn't quite understand. Maybe you can give us some yeah. insight on why, uh, why is it bad that omega-3 and omega-6 are unstable? Does that mean that they're not usable for the body? They get excreted immediately? Is this what you mean? What well, you the if you look at a saturated fat, it has hydrogens basically everywhere. It's, it's kind of filled up. And the more unsaturated a fat is, the less of these hydrogens it has. And the more sort of, uh, the more omega, or the lower the omega number, the more bendy it is, right? So monounsaturated are less bendy. For example, the the um the omega threes are always liquid, right? They will ne you can't freeze them. And the, they're designed for creatures that live in the Ar Arctic, like certain fish and and whatever, to so they don't solidify. The the monounsaturated, like olive oil, if you put olive oil in the fridge, you you, you can't get it to start um, not crystallizing, but sort of getting stiffer. Saturated fat, you have to heat it in order for it to, to start sort of becoming liquid. So the, the fact that, uh, and, and here's another, just to, to give another example, people know that you use butter or coconut oil to fry with because it's a more stable fat. The more uh, of these unsaturation points a fat has, the more places you can have where oxygen or free radicals can come and attach and do damage, right? So when you have a lot of these unsaturated fats in the body, you have more points of contact for oxidants or free radicals or reactive oxygen species to attach and do damage. And the problem is if you damage one place, um, kind of in a manner of speaking, if you damage one place, it, it's kind of like a spark that lights a fire. So you damage it in one place and there's a chain reaction that damages the one next to it or close close by to it. And if you have a lot of these uh, polyunsaturated fats in the body, you can light the, the spark of inflammation and the, the, it's, it's like a wildfire, easy to light, not easy to extinguish. So we, the, again, the this is much more of a problem if you're less healthy, if you have more, you know, more more toxins in the body, poor, more poor, um, uh, a poorer diet, if you have uh, less of an antioxidant capacity, that becomes a problem. So the healthier you are, the more of these you can eat and not feel the effects. Conversely, the more of these you eat, likely the less healthy you will become over time. So I don't, I would not recommend doing that either. Mm -hmm. I hope that, I hope that wasn't too convoluted. It, it was uh, a clarification for sure. Um, okay, so now. Let's talk about the test. You mentioned you sent one of your clients to do a test of their hairs. Well, what are the kinds of tests you recommend people to uh, go through to determine whether they're depleted in minerals or whatever other tests you ask your clients to do to begin with? Yeah, this is my favorite part, really, of of, of the process. Um, I love getting the data and, sh and especially showing people, especially when they come to me with some fairly serious or chronic or complex health problem and they see the, the, the lab work and they're like, oh, well, that makes sense. My favorite test is called the organic acids test. This is a simple urine collection. You do it at home. The courier picks it up. We ship it off to the States and then a couple of weeks later, we get the results. And with this test, we see, uh, we get a snapshot of various metabolic areas. So we see if you have yeast overgrowth, fungal stuff like um, certain mold, um, uh, certain bacterial markers. And basically we can see, is there a state of dysbiosis in the gut? It's not very specific, like a stool test. 
a stool test would tell us specific organisms, uh, parasites, worms, protozoa, bacteria, and so on. Whereas this will tell us certain bacteria, certain Clostridia species, but it's it's more of a general, are you in this biosis or not? And is there yeast overgrowth or not? So that's that's um the first page of that test, and it's really useful. Then it also tells us um, certain B vitamins, what your status of those is, that antioxidant glutathione that I was talking about. It will show us, are you... Are you deficient, which is usually an indication you're probably not eating enough protein or not getting enough glycine in the diet, or you're under a lot of toxic load, which could also be due to dysbiosis because that, that there's also creates a burden of toxins in the body. Um, we also see how are you producing energy? Is there any blockages along the the fairly complex energy production pathways. So we, we can see a snap snapshot uh, of mitochondrial function. We can see certain neurotransmitter metabolites like for serotonin, dopamine, noradrenaline. And then there's other things like oxalates. If you're if you have very high oxalates, usually it can be from fungal infections or, or overgrowths. It can also be from dietary things. And as I mentioned earlier, things like spinach, grains, they're high in oxalates, which can be very uh, damaging to the body. So these are some of the things we can we can test with one simple test, and this is the one I usually run on most people. Unless we uh, unless we suspect there is a, an overt gut problem, in that case we go straight for the stool test and figure out what are we dealing with. Is it H. pylori in the stomach? Is it a parasite? Is it protozoa? Because that really changes slightly. The approach, if you have some protozoa or some parasites, they can travel up your bile duct and go camp out in your liver, your gallbladder. So we need to like then do liver flushes and stuff like that. Um, with uh, parasites, we have to have a really long protocol because they have a very sort of long life cycle and we want to interrupt that life cycle in all stages mm -hmm. and then follow up probably with another protocol. So um, that's, and we also do a comprehensive hormone and um, it's a comprehensive sex hormones and adrenal hormones test. This is actually another very interesting test. So we can check a person. We can you you do four or five collections during the day. You pee on some paper and you ship it off to the lab. And we can see your morning cortisol. Is it high? Is it low? Your afternoon, evening, and your basically your overnight cortisol. When we see your pattern, so you know, in the morning you want your cortisol to spike up wake you up get you up get you going and it goes up and then it you want it to taper down and at night you want it to be fairly low so with this test i'm I, very often time uh very often i see on clients they wake up and their cortisol at night was very high and then they they complain of fatigue not able to sleep worries some thoughts general malaise i'm like well look here's the evidence that we need to we need to figure out Something at night is keeping you up. What is that? Is it blood sugar problems? Is it? You know, are you eating enough carbohydrates? Could it be parasites? Could it be gut dysbiosis? Um, and then we also see uh, the sex hormones. So your testosterone, androgens, which pathways are you meta metabolizing them in? Estrogens, are you metabolizing your estrogens down the healthy protective pathway or down the potentially carcinogenic pathways? And then there's other organic acids tests that are similar to the organic acids test for neurotransmitters, B vitamins, um, neuroinflammation. That's actually another marker that both of these tests can test for. And I've actually caught in a few clients, we've caught uh, this marker of neuroinflammation that was elevated. And that's really, uh, really often when people are experiencing brain fog and things like that, it's really an indicator that there is a lot of toxicity going on. And if we do like a hair test to test for toxic metals and just nutrient elements, we often see elevations in toxic metals. So when we see this data, people it, people really kind of grasp why the program and the supplement protocol and the dietary things and the lifestyle things that I recommend are so comprehensive and and sophisticated. It's not like oh just just don't eat this uh try to sleep more and then take a multivitamin no 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 we we target every single every one of these things in, in a sort of a sophisticated way so that the whole organism 
has everything it needs to to heal and then start you know trending towards optimal health which is always the end goal that we want to get to so my, those are my favorite ones and then of course we can do more complex things like we can test for autoimmune antibodies in some cases we can test for chemical toxins in the urine there's just really really um the the kind of there's a lot of things we can do but those would be my bread and butter I am uh, I am impressed by the depth of your knowledge. I didn't expect you you're like uh, more knowledgeable than a doctor it seems. Um Thank you. how long are your protocols normally? Um and it's not just a protocol. I understand it's a it's an overall change of lifestyle and nutrition but how long are I mean I understand that it's also dependent on the type of issue that the person has. Mm. But what should people expect in terms of length? <laughs> so usually I, I I offer three, six, and 12-month programs, but we're, we're quite flexible usually. Um, for example, I, I also offer, <coughs> excuse me, I offer my 12-month support package. I offer, let's say, a, a mom and her kid or a husband and a wife to, to work with me to kind of to help them both. Because um, if you're if you're working with one person, they have to change some dietary things. So then, if we if you work with both of them, you can convince both of them why it's important. So usually, I I prefer six to twelve months. We can get a lot of really good work done. In, with some clients, they after like three or four sessions, there's such a huge improvement that they want to like start working. Them, let's say it's a mom for her child. Um, I remember one client. We did one session. The the child had a lot of issues, including she couldn't sleep. So we did one session and then the next time we met, she said, oh my God, all, the, all those things you said worked. She's sleeping like a baby now. And so she was super impressed, you know. So sometimes they, they're they're happy with how, how it works for their kid or themselves and they, they get their partner on board or something like that. Um, and then it, sometimes they don't just after a few sessions, people bounce so well that they we don't want to complete the whole thing in six months. I say, look, let's extend the package for a year and then we'll meet every two months and then I can give you any tips or whatever uh, you need. But then other people need a lot of support. So some of my clients, they're tracking every single meal, what they're eating, what they're drinking and every supplement they're taking at which time of day because <clears throat> they have very sensitive guts or a lot of fatigue or a lot of health problems um, from you know being, you know, for example, having a vaccination or two, or um, uh, um, you know, being a former veg vegan or vegetarian or whatever else, right? So with those, we go really meticulous, and then I, I look over the diet logs and I like I comment here. You, you may try this or try this next time, or maybe remove this for a while. So the best I, I find the best results are usually six to twelve months. Usually at that point, I've taught people all they need to know to continue the process themselves. But some people choose to stick around more because it's it's such a fun process. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, is there any uh, case that is that stands out where you can say they had a serious issue, that's what they did approximately, and that is the result? I mean, I, I had one lady that, um, I think she had something like 10 or 11 mercury feelings, you know, and uh, it's, she was having a, a lot of a lot of health problems and just mood and everything. And in two, three months now, she's just uh, sending me uh, little updates and like, oh, you know, I, my mood is so much better. And like, and like the with 11 mercury amalgams, I had four. I had them taken out uh, two months ago, but um, she also had four of them or something like four of them removed in the bad way not with, without following the safe protocol and that's when a lot of the health problems starts we're talking about a lot of mercury toxicity so that can be really debilitating but now she's like really uh really doing well and um it's it's quite amazing even even with a lot of health problems what in three months where we can get people and usually it's not where you, you totally want to be but to, to get someone from a place of just almost the the a depressed state to get them to where like oh I have energy to do this I have energy to do that I'm I'm working more I'm exercising more to get them to that state is already so satisfying uh, and then the rest just becomes easier because they have not only trust in me but they have trust in their body that they can feel better and it can you know rapidly 
uh, improve. Things can rapidly improve. So the, that's just one example, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Christian, I would like to go deep uh, at some point uh, talking about uh, parasites and um, fung- fungi, candida, all kinds of stuff, because this uh, is claimed to be the cause of, to a large extent, I mean, there, there are a lot of claims to the crab disease. I'm not even allowed to, to mention it on YouTube anymore. I don't know if you know that. No. <laughs> I mean, it can be mentioned, but not in relation to giving advice. So crab disease, um, huh? <laughs> yes, this is, uh, it's become really strict now. Wow. But in any case, there's a, there seems to be a correlation between the presence of parasites and candida and other fun, fun, fungus in the body and this disease. So I, I'd like to hear your take on this, but I suggest we leave it for another uh, session, the parasite part, because, you know, we've already gone, <laughs> we've, we've made it quite a comprehensive talk already. Yeah, I mean, if you want, we can briefly discuss su- some basics around it. It's, it's mm-hmm. such a, it's such a rabbit hole. Um, the, what I find, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, this is the most interesting thing, right? What I find is pretty much every single person that I've worked with has had some type of gut problem that we uncovered with testing. Now, some people come directly with gut problems. We we expect to find them, but someone with just with fatigue, just with like general, or, or someone that just wants to uh, optimize, quote unquote, op- optimize their health, you know, and check check where they're at and all that stuff. Uh, we invariably find, at the very least, candida overgrowth. Mm. So it seems like. Most people nowadays are living with with gut problems, and uh, the healthier amongst us, because the immune system is in good nick, uh, and we have healthy habits and lifestyle and rest well and blah blah blah, we are able to keep these things under control. But the problem is when you become immunocompromised. Let's say you uh, you get sick or you eat something bad or you catch something or uh, you you go you go do a marathon like that's that's another thing that can really uh, perturb the gut and then when you when you're in that compromised place certain things that may already be in the gut can overgrow so we we actually test for certain potential autoimmune triggers they're they're known as certain bacteria that are that are there they're not considered beneficial but they're not considered pathogenic unless the the balance of the microbiota is disturbed like mm-hmm. by some of these things and and certain chemicals can also uh, can also do that you know like certain drugs and stuff like that so that that is when a lot of people's um you, you can get into a state where now these guys overwhelm the the you know the commensals like the lactobacilli the, the lactobacillus the bifidobacterium at that point when you when you're in a state of inflammatory dysbiosis um then you, you can start slowly or quickly developing food intolerances. You, your gut can become more permeable permeable or leaky, as it's known, leaky gut. Then more the, uh, if the inflammation has damaged some of your intestinal cells, some of the food might not get digested properly, and then those undigested particles can get into the bloodstream from the gut. That's where the immune system comes into play. We can have inflama- more inflammation. We can have uh, some of these can get uh, can damage our tissues, or can they can get lodged into the tissues, or they can look like our own tissues. And in all of those cases, we create antibodies, and then we either attack our own tissues, or um, we can uh, uh, if it's lodged in our tissue, we can damage our own tissue. So this just creates a vicious cycle. And over time, the blood-brain barrier can also get compromised because certain proteins that keep our uh, gut cells together, uh, those junctions, they're actually the same up in the blood-brain barrier. So if you have that piece of protein broken into the bloodstream and you you create an antibody for it, and that antibody is now near the blood-brain barrier and it recognizes that part of the blood-brain barrier as that antigen or that pathogen, it will start inflaming and attacking the the blood-brain barrier. So once you open the blood brain barrier then all of these other toxic things that are now into the bloodstream because the blood uh, because the gut barrier is compromised now they can get into our, <clears throat> our into our um brain 
and nervous system. And this is where, you know, again, things like if someone is reporting brain fog or overt things like I can't remember something or other, what was his name or her name or what was that thing? I'm, I'm searching for a word. Well, this, this is early indicators of some type of brain damage, literally brain damage. We can call it uh, nicer things like neuroinflammation and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it, this is brain damage that, that oh. the body will try to repair. But over time, more and more and more and more uh, bigger sections of, of connected neurons get damaged. And then you eventually it will be, you know, at, at ataxia where you uh, coordinate movement, coordination get affected. Everything that is controlled by the brain can at some point be affected by this neurodegeneration. So this is what a compromised gut can do and the wrong bacteria in the gut can exacerbate. So um, cl cleaning up the diet should be a, like in today's, in today's world, it should be a no brainer. Um, obviously all the processed foods have a lot of chemicals that we want to avoid, but um, a little tip for, for the listeners, <clears throat> if you can buy some, Activated charcoal and use it even once a week, but two, maybe three times a week on an empty stomach, two, three capsules uh, with a glass of water. I, I like to do it last thing at night, sometimes first thing in the morning. Um, if you have these bacteria that shouldn't be there or, or shouldn't be there in very high numbers, creating these toxins, they're called endotoxins, the charcoal will mop those up quite, quite well. So it's a, and if you, Take charcoal and you visibly, noticeably feel better, let's say half a day later or a few hours later, it's probably indicative that you have some too much endotoxin circulating. If you suddenly your 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 mind is clear, your mood is uplifted, you have more energy after you took the charcoal, it probably means yes, maybe taking charcoal more regularly is a good idea, but it probably means you wanna do some gut cleansing protocol, maybe with some herbs, uh, you know, even like old school in Bulgaria. We we were always eating garlic in the winter times. I don't know if you did, you did that, Zorina, but um, I this love is something. I oh, yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah. It's one of the earliest things I remember. My 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 granddad would eat it raw. I would like wrap it in a piece of white bread and chew it. So now um, when my when my daughter is sick, which doesn't happen too often, touch wood, we, we chop garlic leave it for 10 minutes and then put some honey in it. And then we all have a a little bit of honey. And then we also do the one we do on um, Christmas Eve with, with chopped walnuts some occasionally. Mm -hmm. And that's just, just a delicious way to get some antimicrobial action into your gut. Mm -hmm. uh, and also honey has some certain antifungal and antibacterial properties. So um, point being is <clears throat> a lot of us have these gut, prob uh, gut problems and uh Starting with with charcoal is a good way to just it's it's like an insurance policy. If you have something going on, you're gonna mop up some of the toxins. Give yourself a break. Yeah. Wow. So, are there any um, fixed protocols that people can purchase from uh, your website, or do you only do individual consultations based on uh, the particular case? Um, for now, I'm only working for three, six, and twelve months. Soon, I'll, I'll have um. You can just buy one session. We do a, we do a lot of the analysis as well, but it will be for like brain health and uh, mental performance optimization mm -hmm. for sleep. And then I'm hoping at some point to have a kind of a DIY gut gut uh, fix your gut program that maybe we'll have like one or two consultations with it. But uh, for now, I if someone has like a the way, I, the way I see it, if you have a, a fairly serious chronic health problem, working for less than three months with somebody is, is a little bit, uh, it, it won't be, you won't get the results you want. So I, I prefer we get better results if if we work with people for at least three months. Mm -hmm. I see. Where can people find you? What is your the name of your website or do they just Google your name? It, my name is my website. So if they usually... People just Google it, but if you go to christianjordanov.com, you can find you can find my website there. Mm. Awesome. Thank you so much for this comprehensive deep dive into toxicity, leaky gut. 
supplements, education, <laughs> uh, I don't know what else we covered. <laughs> New Vaccines. <laughs> Are we even allowed to say that word? Should we say something else like quaxines or yes. <laughs> jib jabs? I don't know. Well, thank you. This was a, a pleasure to talk to you. And I, I, I know I sometimes talk a bit fast because I'm always so excited for interviews. So to the listeners, I apologize if I if I went a little bit too fast and too technical, but um, it's important information. I, I agree. I agree. It's important information. And for anybody who is suffering from these, they can actually look up all the terminology that you throw out if they don't know it. So yeah, they can get informed. Thank you so much, Christian. Thank you, Zorina. It was very useful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.